Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who would have thought it? But here we are. Season 6 of the Tapper Go. Happy Saturday, everyone. It's Freddie again, and thank you very much for joining me on what's going to be an epic roller coaster of a five part series. Today's episode is no different as we talk to another young sports person trying to make their way in the professional world. But before we introduce our guests, I want to mention five people who have all done something which provides a little bit more background to what we're going to chat about today on the podcast Simon Kerr, Jonathan Tobin, Philip Billing, Adam Todd Hunter, and Kitty Williams. These five people have never met, but they all have something in common. They are trained in CPR, and because of this, they have been able to save someone's life. That's all I'm going to say in this introduction. My guest today is Morgan McRae. He suffered a cardiac arrest in August 2023, and is now on the path back to trying to play professional rugby. The next half an hour will be a bit of a rollercoaster of emotions, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So for all I can say, sit back, relax, and welcome to Series 6 of The Tap and Go. Morgan, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, firstly, do you just want to tell the listeners, for those who probably aren't aware of your story, a little bit more about you and where you were beforehand and then obviously the last sort of eight months and what's happened in your life? Uh, yeah, so I've, I've been a rugby player since kind of the age of the age of five and I've been lucky enough to do it as a profession since the age of 16. I signed my first contract with um, the Scarlets in Wales. So yeah, I've lived out a boyhood dream. I've I've done most things that I wanted to achieve I've, I've played for my country um and yeah I'm I'm unfortunately now trying to get back to it so yeah it's a it's been a bit of a weird kind of roller coaster but I mean I've had the the best career up till now so I have to hope that continues of course then you touched how now the goal is obviously if you to get back obviously it was in 2023 when your incident happened where your girlfriend Kitty found you 
going into cardiac arrest in, in the bedroom. Do you want to just uh, tell everyone a little bit more and put the story into a bit more context for everyone? Yeah, so um, it was August 13th. Uh, we'd been up the, the day before we went up. Mates have just moved to London, um, as you kind of all do after uni. So went up there, saw uh, visited them, saw the new house and just she had a few drinks. Nothing, nothing mental. And then stayed in my brother's house in Wimbledon. Um, he was out there. He was out seeing some friends. So I thought might as well have a place to crash there. So we both went back and then it came when it was about six in the morning. Um, Kitty found me, well, like woke up to me snoring and, and trying to wake me up. Thought I was just being a bit annoying and she couldn't sleep. So she was like, can you just shut up basically? Uh, and then shook me. Um, wasn't responding and she was like okay you're actually starting to scare me now can you can you wake up wasn't responding she kept shaking me and then I fell out of bed and then she knew something was 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 up and then ran around and kind of eyes were to the back of my head I was going blue and she really kind of started to panic so luckily she knew CPR from when she was uh, at Brooks she she did some CPR training there so she started CPR called the ambulance and they, they kind of turned up eight or nine minutes later, I think it was. So she was doing CPR all that time. Um, then they took over. I was did CPR for another 12 minutes, I think it was, and defibrillated me four times until they finally finally got something back, uh, like a heart rate back on the, on the fourth one. So, yeah, she didn't know at the time, but I had a cardiac arrest in my sleep um, and then went on to go. They put me into a coma just to try and let, everything recover and let my brain settle um so I was in a coma for two days and then spent another uh, two and a half three weeks um in between ICU and a, and a cardiac ward in St George's so yeah it's been pretty manic and obviously now just trying to get back to, to daily life and life as it was before it's been pretty crazy and just to emphasize for everyone listening obviously you are as you've already talked about your previous show, you were completely fit healthy no heart conditions running in the family or anything like that so no no yeah no no heart yeah no heart conditions I mean I literally just come off the back of a really good pre-season so I'm probably the fittest I have been in my whole career so yeah really just out out the blue they put it down it's it's they've described it as being struck by lightning it's it's Mm. something that is one in a million it unfortunately just happened there's done every single test they can I've pretty much a couple of tests a day for three weeks so they just can't find a reason behind it um which is frustrating but at the same time it's it's also good that I don't have a heart condition or or something or anything more kind of sinister and obviously the heart's such a complex thing is it similar to what happened to Fabrice Mwamba, Christian Eriksen, Tom Lockyer more recently so looking at famous footballers or is there is it a slightly different variant um it's it's similar as in we all had a cardiac arrest but obviously Ericsson's kind of kept what happened to him pretty close to him and in his inner circle so I don't think he's ever really spoken about it so no one knows the actual reason behind his um and then Tom Lockyer I think that was his second cardiac arrest um and I think yeah and I think he has um a heart condition but he's now been fitted with the same device I've got and that Ericsson's got so I'm sure all being well he'll be back on the pitch um, sooner rather than later and so you talk about so you've had the thing fist into your chest is it obviously it's a weird feeling thing that you've now got something which is you rely on 
in a sense to pump blood around your body and for your heart to operate but has it have you noticed it at all as in, in a way that you're carrying out life and you're having to be aware of it or is it completely you're trying to carry on as much normal as you can uh it's it's pretty uh, for the first like two weeks i really noticed it because obviously i was still after the operation still really sore still had all the the scars and everything and they were still uh, all still healing so yeah it's it's just there it's it's underneath my armpit kind of round to the side of my chest so I don't notice it it's not it's not um required all the time it's basically it's just a small defibrillator so it's it's just there in case my heart goes into another weird rhythm that it will it will record it and it will shock my heart back into that that normal rhythm so basically it's just it's like a first line of defense and hopefully if anything happened again touch what it doesn't but I wouldn't need um, to be defibrillated by a kind of an external defibrillator because I've got one in. So, in a weird way, I don't I don't notice it anymore. It's it's kind of it's it's all healed and it's all kind of settled in my body. I can feel it sometimes when I, if I lean on something or I'm sat in the car and the the seats kind of hug round. So, it, I know it's there because I can see it, but it's it's kind of just part of me now and just blends in really. And talk to me about the recovery process since the incident. What have you been doing? Obviously, are you limited in what you're are you building back up strength or are you able to try and exercise as freely as you want? What have you sort of been doing? Uh, to try get your well, in those kind of first two, three weeks coming out of hospital, I was pretty limited in what, in terms of what I could do. I had to just rest and, and let myself recover. Um, and then since pretty much the end of September, I've I've been back in training, so started off where I had to I could train but I had to keep my heart rate under like a 140 limit which was quite tough considering I hadn't I've been in bed for three four yeah just over four weeks so obviously I would I would do anything I'd do a set of squats and that would go straight up to 140 so that that period that kind of two three weeks that I was like that for was really quite frustrating just because I felt like I literally couldn't do anything um without my heart going absolutely mental but then had some more tests, had an exercise test done um, just to kind of give me the all clear. And and since I think it was mid-October, I've been back in full training, just the non-contact side of it until we get this protection sorted. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been it's been good and it's it's so nice to just be back into training and, and have that kind of release from day-to-day life. You talk about the need to get protection sorted. What, what, sorry, what do you mean by that? So I, just because of where the device is um, and I've, just, I've basically just got to get a, almost like a foam shield made yeah. um, just to protect the device and the leads from take, from any impacts that they may take. Luckily, being underneath my arm, like underneath around my armpit, it's normally pretty covered in terms of if I was carrying or tackling. So it should be all right, but I've got to get a few things sorted and, and it's it was all going well. And then we've had a bit of a, a hiccup in terms of world rugby aren't on as on board with it as we we would have hoped and they haven't approved the uh device that i was going to use it's it's a company called vital beat and they uh ericsson uses their shields and it's, it's heavily used across all sports and they're just because no one's done it in rugby before and this would be a first there they're kind of stuck to their rules and regulations which this is completely different from and, and just won't comply so it's yeah, it's annoying, but I mean, it will get there eventually, and we have to have to raise some money first. Yeah, of course. And then obviously, 
physically you've obviously had to you've been talking about how you recover mentally as well as how have you sort of coped with it and obviously when you woke back up from your coma and going through it, it was must have been gigantic shock to you what happened yeah um it's been it's been all right to be fair because i i don't remember the first kind of week and a half of hospital even though after coming out of the coma i was i was awake and 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 there pretty much i don't remember anything um I don't know if that's my my brain trying to like say like uh, not remember all the the nasty stuff and it's almost like a coping mechanism. I don't know if that's why it's not remembered all of those kind of periods in ICU and and all the the nasty stuff. But yeah, I I feel pretty like disconnected and disassociated from the whole thing just because I don't have those those memories of. Um, kind of being worried about if I was going to make it and and in that unknown in like uncertain times I only remember from when I was in the cardiac ward and I was just there to be to be monitored for another week and a half or so so yeah I, I feel fine I can't say my family feel exactly the same way and obviously they all have their ups and downs and Kit has her ups and downs just because she was so directly involved in the whole thing and yeah, it's uh, it's been tougher on them than I would say it's been tougher on me. And this might sound like a bit of a cliche, but has it changed your perspective on life and the way you sort of go forward? Yeah, definitely. I, I've, I'm just ridiculously lucky that that I was in the right place at the right time. Like it all, it all fell into place. I was staying at uh, my brother's, which is five minutes around from Saint, five minutes around the corner from Saint George's, one of the best cardiac hospitals in the UK. Um. Kit wasn't meant to be staying with me that night. We only kind of agreed it, like sorted it out probably four or five hours before. So again, if she wasn't there, this would be a completely different story. If I was back home and and being in the middle of nowhere, getting an ambulance can normally take 30, 35 minutes. And by that time, the, the damage that would have been caused from kind of lack of oxygen to, to my brain would have been irreversible. And yeah, just... It all felt if it was going to happen. I'm glad it happened the way it did, just because, yeah, it could have been a completely different story and one that was probably a bit nastier. Well, thank goodness for all everything falling into place as it did then. And obviously, since then, you and Kitty have sort of set up your Instagram page, and you are both campaigning massively for CPR training because obviously at the end of the day that has saved your life. Mm. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about um, SICD and everything? Yeah. Yeah, so we set up an Instagram account called My SICD and Me, and it's it's just a, a platform for basically us to share, for my for me to share my journey on getting back to the pitch, and then both of us to for people to follow our journey and getting CPR, kind of raising that CPR awareness and the importance of it. And it's also a platform that if people that have been through similar um, experiences or have had family or friends affected by similar similar experiences it's a place for them to reach out and just have an honest and frank chat if they like get a couple of messages a day from from people telling me their stories and and yeah I feel so lucky that I was one of the ones who survived because I mean the stats are pretty bleak in terms of the survival rate and the number of um, out of hospital cardiac arrest is is quite scary each year so yeah, it's just a, a space that we can share our journey and people can can share theirs and just kind of working to try and improve that stat, which I was probably a bit naive in, in thinking that it would be relatively easy to do. 
yeah. kind of before we started, but since starting, it's it's a, a mammoth task that is proving quite difficult. But we're kind of plugging away at it bit by bit. So you, were you CPR trained before this all happened? No, I wasn't. I've I've never been taught CPR in terms of playing at the clubs because we've always had medical profession professionals there twenty four seven pretty much, um, and they never taught at school. Kit was just in a in a very fortunate position that she was a captain of lacrosse at Brooks. So all the captains of the societies had to come in for, I think, a couple of weeks before um, uni started just because they needed someone first aid trained on the pitch at all times. Um, because obviously unis aren't blessed unless you're kind of one of the top unis and playing in one of the first teams that you don't always have ambulances yeah. next to you or, or, or physios with you the whole time. So yeah, there had to be someone trained and, and thank God she did get it because yeah like I said it could have been a completely different story if she didn't know it. I think it's a bit of a waiting because I always remember sort of you'd have those PSHE classes or whatever at school and the people would talk about it and it was mm. where you sit back and weren't really concentrating yeah clearly something that hasn't necessarily gained been given the time and time of day that it needs to so hopefully I mean you guys are clearly doing something which will hopefully yeah it's a little more and I've, I've seen some of the stuff you've already been been able to speak on radio stations and tv etc so mm. fingers crossed what sort yeah, of the... it's also oh, it's a it's pretty nuts that you never think you, you obviously hear about it and you hear about these horrible things happening in the news with kind of the more high profile cases that that have unfortunately have been going around in the past couple of years so yeah you always hear about it and it's it's never nice to hear about and then you don't hear about it you don't think it's ever going to be someone close to you let alone you um so yeah it's just like like we say it can happen anytime to any person anywhere so it's unfortunately these aren't selective they don't just pick and choose certain people you can be fit and healthy you can be running marathons every couple of years or running a marathon every year and it can still happen to you so yeah it's pretty it's pretty crazy What's the long-term goal for this? What was, do you think that so it should almost come like a class at school? Everyone should just know how to do CPR? Yeah, well, that's what we, we want to achieve. So that CPR is in the kind of main curriculum and it's one of the, the main things that are, are taught in schools. Um, we've had kind of mixed people say that it's already taught in schools, but I've I've asked and I've never got taught. I've no none of my friends have ever got taught. Um so I, I I don't know. I think it just needs to be kind of a blanket across the whole the whole country saying this is being added to the curriculum, not individual schools kind of picking out there and then. Because even though it's brilliant that people are getting taught, it's still not good enough. And if we can educate kind of these kids and, and get them CPR trained and get them feeling confident and comfortable enough that if they were ever required to to use their skills, um, be that on a loved one or on a or just a, a, a random member of the public that they they stumble across, um, we, yeah, we want them to feel comfortable, and then from that, hopefully, our kind of end main goal, which is going to be quite a big task, is getting um, CPR kind of introduced into part of the driving test in the UK. So, like, you have to do your theory, and you need your theory certificate number to book your practical. You'll need a theory and a kind of first aid course. Um, you need those two certificate numbers to then go and book your practical because it's like last year it was two and a half million people took a theory uh, and then like one and a half went on to do their practical 
and if we can just hit a, a, a random middle figure of like two million per se, that's two million people a year that are, are, are trained in first aid. And even if they're not driving, um, and they're just walking down the high street, or they're they're playing in their sport clubs, or they're just sat with their family on a on a Sunday evening, and something happens, that, that's two million people a year that know how to perform CPR and help save a life. I suppose yeah, it's about finding sort of the right age age to teach people because if you're trying to teach 13 14 year olds you probably wouldn't get the take up or the success mm. where, but then would would be teaching as having it part of the fresh curriculum at university for those who are fortunate to go to university yeah. late so i guess it is finding that middle ground which i yeah, guess yeah. five 17 year olds it would, it would make sense mm. Can I just, so a lot of people well, some people are fortunate enough to get their hearts tested when they're at school or at a young age would your condition have been picked up by one of those heart tests or was it one of those which would which wouldn't be no you don't know about until it's happened yeah unfortunately because there's no heart condition found they they've just put it down to an ectopic heartbeat which is um, an extra heartbeat that everyone has and it just hit in the wrong point of my kind of my my um cardiac cycle and just sent my heart into an absolute frenzy so now i've been screened by cry um the main kind of uh, yeah. cardiac yeah. risk in the young charity i've been screened by them four times when with my time at the Scarlets we got one done every year um so I've I've been screened loads and and no nothing's ever been found so unfortunately in my case uh it was just completely freak and a, a complete random incident but I know that we've had cried down um to Henley Rugby Club and they've we screened 70 of the the men and women and some of the the younger boys so yeah it's just for the for the for the money you pay I think it's 40 quid per person or something and it's, it's oh i would pay triple that or even more than that just to to make sure my heart was okay yeah and so obviously you're now waiting to hear, hear about the shield and when it's allowed short-term long-term goals playing rugby is it to aim to get back to where you were is it just to be able to play week in week out for a club what are your sort of hopes i think short term is is literally just getting back on the pitch and uh getting back into to regular playing and then and then long term yeah, I want to get back into that professional setting that I wasn't before. I've been a little bit unlucky with um, injuries before before this. Um, and then clubs obviously having financial situations and, and going and going bust. So it's a it's in a pretty weird place rugby is, but and it's made it even harder for people to get kind of either up to professional rugby or get back to professional rugby. So yeah, that's a long-term goal is to to get back to a professional club. But in the in the coming kind of months and and then over the next year, it's going to just going to be getting back, getting fit, and just getting some minutes under the belt. No, completely. And so, so looking at your we'll slightly move away from SSED and everything now, and looking at your career to date, we've had tons of sevens and fifteens players come onto the podcast already. Talk me through at such a young age how you broke through. You obviously were at Scarlet for a little bit, but then broke into the seven circuit. How did that sort of transition come about? Um, so yeah, I was at Scarlet since sixteen, and then finished my um, schooling down here back at home, and then moved up at eighteen. So had that first year of COVID is when I when I moved up that COVID year. So it was pretty bleak in terms of no games, but we were in in a really fortunate enough position, just being at that professional environment that we were still able to train and. Um, could still could still do our jobs basically so yeah did that and then the following year um everything started to open up again so started playing got lucky enough to represent the scarlets on 
their senior team on a couple of occasions. Um, and then it was January 2022. I uh, had a meeting with our coaches and they they said that, that the Wales Sevens have been asking after me and wanted me to come in and, and join their kind of training group. So went in, it was actually a case of, they told me that on the Thursday evening, I was in there playing a game on the Friday morning. So um, yeah, it all happened pretty quickly. And then kind of a week and a half later, we were, we were out in Spain playing the first leg of the HSBC World Seven Series. And mate, I just can't, it was an unbelievable experience. And that, that feeling of running out for your country first time and, and getting your first cap, I mean, it will never be beaten, even though didn't have the best two weeks in terms of, I got knocked out in the first game against France. So the first weekend, so then missed the rest of that with a HIA and then came back for the second week, started against France, got sent off straight off the kickoff, which wasn't ideal. Came back on, snapped my Achilles. So uh, yeah, it was it was a whirlwind of a two weeks, but I mean, something I'll never forget. And look, I've, I've done it, I, even though it was only two short stints on the pitch, it's it's a it's an international cap and that's something that will be with me forever and that can never be taken away. So yeah, it's uh some of the toughest kind of the toughest training and one of the hardest environments I've ever been in in terms of the sevens. It was complete shock to the system going from fifteen to sevens in space of a kind of a week and a half. There's so much to learn and it's a completely different game. But to be surrounded by some of the boys that I've kind of grown up watching watching play was was pretty cool and felt pretty surreal and almost had a bit of an imposter syndrome so walked in and that first time it's why am I here I can't really believe I'm here and then it all becomes pretty real after that when you get with your kit and you have all everything named up and your your big kind of whale suitcases so yeah it's a I felt like a child again getting my all my stash for the first time George touched next. Obviously, you played sevens at school, but then you were very much focusing on fifteens. How did you find the transition from fifteen to sevens? Was there anything that you particularly struggled with, or did you sort of pick up things that you'd done previously that sort of worked? Uh, yeah, I, I played sevens throughout all my school life, and but I never thought this is something that I would do. I just, yeah, it never really came across my mind. It's always something that when I knew the Wales sevens was coming back after COVID, it was always I was like, oh, I, re- I would love to go and do that. It would be it'd be class, travel the world. Um, and just play rugby. So never thought it would happen. And then when they when they contacted me, I was pretty pretty shocked and just said yes straight away and was buzzing to get in there. And it was yeah that first day. Obviously they they had already been in for about a week, so they had learned some of the the plays and that kind of style of play. And like I said, it's completely different from fifteen. So that transition it was a it was a definite shock to the system just with how much space there was on the pitch and, and how much kind of harder it is to, to defend, especially because there's, there's half, just under half the amount of people, obviously, and it's, you're covering two, two people's positions. So yeah, it was a, it took a couple of days and had some meetings with the coaches and kind of caught up on what I've, what I've missed. Um, but then after that, it became pretty routine. And then it felt like going back to 15s after that was alien. And so do you think, Long term, if you manage to get yourself back to where you want to be, you go back to the sevens or and try and focus on getting back to where you were with sevens. Or do you think you'd now yeah. stick with fifteens? I would. I would love to get back to the sevens. I mean, it's a bit different now that Wales, England, and Scotland yeah. all combined into that that GB squad. So again, it's it's fighting for positions. It's it's quite a, a tough group to go into because you've got there's fifteen in each squad from each of those nations trying to get into a, a squad of twelve, and it's 
it's pretty fierce the competition. I'm I'm a year or well, two years out of out of sevens and it's it's will take a lot of kind of transitioning to get back into. So but if the opportunity came about I would I would take it with with both hands and love to travel the world and get paid to to play a game that I would do for free anyway. So yeah, but it's it's not a kind of main goal at the minute just because I need to focus on some other things first. Yeah, of course. Do you think that sevens is traditionally like obviously much less physical than fifteens? Would that potentially be more suited to given you're going to have the protector on and everything? Um, I don't know. It's it's a weird one. Even though it's it seemed to be it's like deemed less physical. I I, I thought it was even worse than fifteens, just because right. in fifteens people are like you, you're carrying from a kind of five ten meter run up, and it's it's they're they may be bigger, yeah, but Kind of everything is at half speed compared to sevens. You're 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 carrying at flat out sprints, and the the kind of the physical toll on your body of having these kind of three day tournaments is absolutely brutal. But it's also the mental side of having to get so revved up for a game, and that only being when in that whole warm up period to to game period forty five minutes, and then you have such a crash of trying to get you know, calm your body down, and you normally have three four hours in between a game, so boys, we'll, we'll go back to the hotel, we'll sleep. And it's just that really weird feeling of getting really up, That's then cool. trying to calm down and reset everything and then keep going. And by the end of the three days, you're absolutely knackered. Just that emotional and, and kind of mental side of it is 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 so hard. So I'd say maybe not as physical, but that mental battle's just completely different and something that I was not prepared for at all. Moving away the time of year, I mean, by the time this comes out, we might have just finished through the first round of Six Nations, but you've obviously got your ties with Wales. Any idea who you think is going to top the table this year? Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting Six Nations because, I mean, especially for Wales, they've got such a, a new squad and such a mix with, they're not blessed with in terms of load of boys out injured um, and probably, I would say, 10 that would have been in that squad uh, unfortunately not able to be there. Um, and then you've got Zamet, who's chosen to to jump to the NFL, which I hope goes well for him, but it's going to be, it's a pretty bold call to make. And yeah, I hope it pays off. Um, and then if England are in a pretty similar situation, they've got seven new caps. Uh, but I, I just, even though France don't have DuPont, because he's chosen to go with the sevens and get some experience and prepare for the um, Olympics, I just, it's going to be between France and Ireland. They're just they're both too strong. They have some absolute freaks, and they're at club level. They're playing some really, really good rugby. So, yeah, I think it's got to be between France and Ireland. And I would, I don't want to say it, but I'll probably get have to nail on France to win. Really, I'm thinking. I think Dupont's such a loss. And looking at looking at all the squads, England have obviously had their massive revamp. No Farrell. Mm. Wales are, I mean, completely restarting. Italy and Scotland will always be Italy and Scotland. They'll both turn up on the day, but aren't realistically competing for the crown. Is Ireland's loss of Sexton bigger than France's loss of Dupont then? Um, I think in terms of experience and and what he'll probably, like Sexton gives you off the pitch, just that that leadership. And basically it's like having another coach, but a player coach effectively. Um, I think they will feel that and it'll be pretty interesting to see who who steps up but apart from that they've they've pretty much got the same squad going into 
these games as, as they did for the World Cup. So, yeah, he will be a loss. Um, and it's, it's the same with France. France's team's pretty much the same as it it, it did in the World Cup and it, there was in the World Cup. And they're, and although Dupont is a absolute freak and probably one probably the best rugby player in the world at the minute, the amount of like quality nines that they've got in France that if they were playing in any other nation would probably be nailed on to start but unfortunately they're behind him so it'll be interesting to see what he does with the sevens but also what the new France are like without him kind of running the the show and do you think this is a Wales squad for the future or do you think it's right now Wales don't really know what to do as in obviously I mean it's nuts Daff who was the year below me at uni is now captain mm. He's a 21. Yeah, right? it's it would be yeah, seen it's, prepping for the next World Cup, or what do you think? Yeah, this 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 is at the start of a four year cycle. Um, they'll be building already because of the amount of young players. So, I think five, four, four or five of those boys. So, Davi played Wales 20s with Alex Mann, uh, the new call up, played Wales 20s with Cam Winnett, I think was year below. So, I just missed out. Um, there's like Mackenzie Martin, uh, he was at, in twenties as well. It's it's ridiculous to see those boys that I know pretty well and and kind of have that friendship with. So then go see them where they're like Dav going and capsing Wales at twenty one is 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 nuts. And he'll Gatlin's already called it that in the next World Cup he'll be a nailed on starter if he keeps going the way he's going. He'll be a nailed on starter and. I probably think he'll captain Wales for the foreseeable future, even though Jack Moggs will come back and they'll probably share it like Dewey Lake and um, Jack Morgan did in in the World Cup. But yeah, it's it's definitely a team to build and it's a chance to get these new boys in and around that environment and get them learning as much as they can because that, that transition from club level up to international rugby is absolutely massive. So the earlier they can... And to get that that fear factor and that shock out the, out their system, the better it's going to be. And I think in for in the next in the next World Cup in three four years when Wales really start kicking over, I think will be pretty pretty decent team to to have. You think rugby more so than I'm trying to look at say football and cricket? It's so much more performance based and form based. If you look at cricket, you can get the likes of Ben Stokes. He could have an absolute obviously he's captain now, but five years ago he could have an absolute awful season. But nine times out of ten, he'll be in eleven. Whereas if you look at some of the selections, Slade come back into the England setup, Don Bryant come back into the England setup, and then the likes of, I'm obviously down from Exeter, so Ross Vincent going to yeah. see that purely form picks. Do you think that's is the case of rugby that it's so much more than any other sport? Yeah, I think if you're if like if you're playing well and and you've kind of had that that good run of games and the start to the season, you can really kind of change your your net, get your name out there and and change your tune. I mean, Rossi's one of those that I I live with him and I. Um, play with him in Dubai We that's where we both started our rugby together and I remember because well, he was one of my best mates out there so we'd go play rugby together and he was just he won't mind me saying this but some skinny South African kid that was always skillful but he went and then he, I left he then went to South Africa and got his ties with Italy so as kind of a, on, a, on a friendship level I hope he goes and absolutely tears up because it's it's so good to see someone you've grown up with, with such a from such a young age, um, going and doing his thing, and he's he's an absolute freak of nature. 
nice to another South African in the Six Nations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll be. I'll definitely be watching him and and supporting him. And I've already spoken to him a bit. Just so buzzing to to get into that and get into that setup because he's. I think he played the like Italy A game against Leicester last year, so he's already had that kind of that camp env- environment and that camp feel. And but he'll he'll go on and he'll kind of he'll kick on. I I, I back him to start each test. And just before we finish, this Premiership season's obviously being dubbed as one of the like closest and hardest to call in a lot of years. Any team that you think have particularly got the edge, which are going to take it? Um, I would love Northampton to do it. I would. I just. I love the way they play. I love their style of rugby. And, and again, Finn is a as a mate of mine, so speak to him quite regularly. And just the way they do things down there, it just sounds incredible. And Exeter, fair play. They've got a, a ridiculously young squad, and it's it's kind of paid off with three or three or three England call ups. Scottish call up and and Rossi to Italy so and Dav to Wales so yeah I I hope Northampton do it extra doing well so but it'd be nice to see a change from from Sarri's or Quinn's or something someone like that sat at the top of the table yeah no I think I can probably agree with that Morgs um thanks so much I mean it's been a long time since we've actually spoken and played rugby when we were yeah. in our eleven but um. Thank you so much. And obviously we'll do anything we can do to help support and spread your awareness. But we wish you amazing. Kitty, obviously she can join us today, but the best of luck with everything you guys are trying to do. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me, mate. That's uh yeah, it's been nice to just chat and get it all out there. Yeah, no, top work, mate. It's, yeah, it's very impressive and obviously so glad to see you're up and moving and fit and healthy. No, cheers, Thank you, mate. mate. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.